And I'm not even sure how I feel about this. I think I would still tip regardless of what someone is making. Yeah. But if you know somebody is making more money, will you drop back your tip? With this news came out the news that they're starting to do wraps. Did you see that? They're they're trying to do more lower calorie wraps, which is like, I mean, if you put all the cheese and everything right, else, right. it's not really that much. But do you eat some? Do you eat protein, Josh? Spell that. <laughs> P O U. Okay. I need to write it down. I'm Josh Duke. And I'm Alex Darris. And you're either listening to or watching Dying Drink Clee, the podcast where each and every week we're going to be joined by Cleveland.com's best and brightest food experts, insiders, and influencers. We are so excited to be back. It's 2024. Hope you guys had a wonderful New Year's and happy holidays and all that good stuff. But, you know, now it's it's 2024. So what are we talking about? Yeah, no, great. Happy New Year. Um, we've got a lot to lot to go into the new year with. Um, there's some changes in some local restaurants. Uh, Melt, very famous grilled cheese bar and restaurant is closing one of their locations. Um, we have a really interesting conversation about tipping and as it pertains to the restaurant mm. industry. And then we're also going to talk about um, restaurants to look forward to opening in 2024. There's a lot of new stuff coming up in the greater Cleveland food scene. So we have a lot to be excited about. Yeah. And joining us right now is Mark Bona. You're going to talk a little bit about the melt and some, you know, some of the shakeups we've got kind of got going on here in the Cleveland area. Yeah, Melt is, uh, I'm, you know, if you like grilled cheese, Melt is is the place to go. And if you like large sandwiches, Melt is definitely the place to go. Uh, Melt had a handful of sandwiches, a local company, so local chain, if you want to call them that. Mm -hmm. But they did decide to close their Avon location. They spent seven years in Avon. And Matt Fish said that uh, really it was, it was about rising cost. It was about labor cost, uh, the cost of goods, fuel, everything. And I think what we're seeing is occasionally we hear this because restaurants have a paper thin uh, profit margin to deal with. And when you when they came out of uh, and dealt with the coronavirus pandemic, things just became that much more challenging. So I don't think this is an epidemic. I think we'll see a little bit more of it. It does still leave melt with five locations in this area so you know i would call it a a local restaurant mm -hmm. i don't know if you want to call i don't know what yeah, you say, chain. a chain you mm -hmm. know it's they're they're in lakewood independence um mentor uh akron and and also in columbus as well so. yeah and i know also with this news came out the news that they're starting to do wraps did you see that they're they're trying to do more lower calorie wraps, which is like, I mean, if you put all the cheese and everything right, else, right. it's not really that much. But it seems like they're going to be introducing some new menu items, too. So kind of kicking off the year. I, I think it's a way to I, I kind of applaud them for that because it shows that they are trying to evolve and are trying to change things for the better as they see it. And that's one of the reactions they've had to the market. So I'm sure that they've done. Uh, market research on that. So that'll be interesting to see how that flies as well. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, in your experience, what do you think? Because uh, obviously we kind of continue to see this trend of restaurants continuing to be impacted by COVID, even though it's years later. Um, what When do you think that we're going to sort of see that kind of settle down and restaurants have really sort of settle into a, a new normal? Yeah, that's a $64,000 question, mm -hmm. Josh. Although I've talked to some people and they say we're already starting to see the beginning of kind of coming out of it because, you know, anecdotally, and I've noticed this too, you know, it used to be you could walk down the street and every single small business, especially restaurants and bars, had help wanted signs, you know, yeah. out as often as they had an open or closed sign. 
you don't see that as often. There's a couple of reasons for that. Prices did, or I should say wages did go up to in order to attract dishwashers in particular and other folks. So I think we're seeing the very beginning of it. But, you know, this is we're dealing with an economy and yeah. and, and economic factors. And mm-hmm. so I think it's still going to be a little while. I think, you know, it's a tough business. I, I think people who own a restaurant or a bar have a lot of guts to go into it because the, the profit margin is just razor thin. Yeah, no, yeah, for, for sure. sure. And I feel like, like you said, it's it's almost like as the COVID pandemic impacts have been going down we have like inflation and everything else and it's just like it's always gonna it's always hard for restaurants but it it feels like it's just unfortunately getting a little harder since covid too so yeah Yeah. in terms of the restaurants that sink or swim sorry to to use i guess the best (laughs) phrase that comes to mind what do you think is like the strategy that you've seen restaurants sort of implement or strategies that you've seen implement that have made them more successful as I'm going to piggyback others. on that too. Cause I think specifically with melt, what's interesting is like a local chain. So when a restaurant is being successful, while also expanding a little bit, like mm-hmm. in more than one location like right. that. So, yeah, I talked to Brandon Krastowski during at the very beginning of COVID about just that. And he was saying, a lot of people were immediately just folding and he was saying, I see this as an opportunity. You can get maybe real estate a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. So that's one answer. Another answer is restaurants do need, like all businesses, especially journalism, we need to evolve. You've got to see the market forces and see what else is working out there. An example is Winking Lizard. Winking Lizard has done pretty well over the years, but they're changing their focus. They were based on a very large, well cold craft beer selection they have slowly transitioned not away from beer but they've really added bourbon a lot of yeah. good bourbon they have less single sales the the lizardville concept i think is being pushed aside mm-hmm. they're focusing on bourbon and then they're kind of every something for everyone type of menu so i just think you do have to find you you need you need to change i mean yeah. several restaurant owners told me you should physically redesign a restaurant every seven years that's just the norm you just can't be left to atrophy yeah yeah, yeah it sucks that they got rid of their lizards though oh the lizards <laughs> i, like, I, I like forgot them. i i don't know if there was like any animal rights problems with that but i have no idea but it was probably more like you said it was probably part of their uh, effort to evolve and in and adapted times yeah, and keep it's a little going. antiquated probably yeah. With yeah. The iguanas but... i love them but it's okay yeah well i think that also kind of goes into our next topic talking about um restaurants and the economic side of it because mark wrote a really interesting story about tipping and a push to raise the minimum wage in ohio so mark you want to explain a little bit about that yeah this was interesting last year i wrote a couple of stories very quick hit stories dailies they were uh very basic it was about mayor bibb showing up at a couple of raise the wage movement type of rallies and part of it involved grants for local restaurants to help them out as long as they committed to a $15 uh, an hour minimum. Uh, That is a proposal that's an initiative through a bunch of local restaurant consortiums. Uh, So this raise the wage initiative sounds really good, but there's a lot more to it. Um, You know, we talked about this a minute ago that, you know, COVID really challenged restaurants. Wages did go up in that period of time. Um, But this has been a very, very divisive issue, I think, over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, because right now the minimum wage is a little over $10, right? Yeah, it's it's $10.45 and then the tipping minimum is $5.25. But the two sides on this issue 
Uh, it was very interesting when I, I talked to a lot of people about this. And, you know, on one side, you have uh, the SEIU, the Service Employees and International Union, and they're saying, look, this evens the playing field. Um, it, it's not much more money. People should expect a livable wage in, in what they're doing and, and what they're earning. Um, and, and it really is, is necessary. And they're even saying, look, you got to remember servers in particular, if they have a slow day, they're really not getting paid when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. On the flip side, though, restaurant owners and the Ohio Restaurant and Hospitality Alliance uh, is saying something else. They're saying, number one, the market should dictate this. We already have it going on. With tips, the average server makes $27 an hour. And that was pretty interesting to me because that equates on a full-time basis, if you work in the hours, if it's steady, uh, to over like fifty-five, fifty-six thousand dollars a year. So now we're in another type of area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing that that a lot of people disagree on is, and I'm not even sure how I feel about this. I think I would still tip regardless of what someone is making. Yeah. But if you know somebody is making more money, will you drop back your tip? I mean, Europe does this differently. Mm-hmm. It's more of a salary position. They know not to not to take tips. This is different, though. If you knew somebody is making so much more, would you just hold back the tip? You know, I'm not sure how this is yeah. going to play or out. Or if you knew, like, on your receipt, there was a service charge or mm-hmm. that would already, would you then tip on top of that? Cause that might. Pro- Huge question. You it's know? a great question. And you we're seeing that right now. We're seeing, I saw something the other day about a, a healthcare uh, amount on the tip that the consumer, the <laughs> diner is paying for people. That's I a think, little bleak to it have is, that. It is. Uh, and, and it is an industry that doesn't pay healthcare. Well, yeah, for, you don't for, have your, uh, um, 401ks and healthcare and all of that benefits. Yeah. Right. Right. You, you don't have benefits. So I'm not sure how that's, how people are going to, I think people are very individual about how they tip and mm-hmm. their approach to it. Yeah. I think, I think pe- when people, you know, visit these restaurants, I think a lot of times when they get that bill and there's all these various, uh, charges or, you know, fees that don't make sense. Like you said, the healthcare, Every time I get something like that, I'm like, why don't you just build that into the cost of the food and everything? So I don't even have to think about it. Obviously, I know that's going to raise the cost of everything. But then the question is, if they put it in the cost of the food and you didn't know Mm -hmm. that there was that service charge, Mm -hmm. would you still tip even if you that restaurant was paying the 15 minimum $15 minimum wage and it was absorbed through the cost of the food? Would you still tip if you didn't know? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't yeah. see how that would affect anything. It would just be like going to a restaurant normally. Yeah, yeah. I would still tip based on the service, I think. And um, and yeah, I think that. But then if the menu prices are higher than and you're tipping off of that, then mm-hmm. your 20% is higher. That's true. If you're tipping 20%. But anyway, mm-hmm. that is true. Yeah. And, I, and I'll give you that. And I think that normal most people will do that. I think you always hear this phrase like if you can't afford the tip don't go out to eat yeah. i think that is kind of like a little bit yeah i don't love that phrase but it also i think most people kind of follow that a little bit i think most people tip you know and i think if they can't then they mostly don't go out i don't know i'm not a i'm not i a think server, uh, i think it probably depends on where because i've heard mm-hmm. like anecdotally that ohioans are really good tippers like yeah. I mean, yeah that but i'm sure maybe in other places if you didn't say that and everything i mean 
you know, like that 27 an hour is probably so subjective to, mm -hmm. again, where the restaurant is, how busy they are, mm -hmm. stuff like that. It just it gets really in the weeds. And I had I had one reader. I had a lot of readers. This really struck a chord. I had right. a lot of readers contact me about it. And one person said, I think you really have to look at the type of restaurant you're at when it comes to tipping in terms of the amount of work that's being done. And the person wasn't really siding one way over the other, but their point was you go into a fine dining restaurant, you're spending a lot of time. One server is spending a lot of time with you could be for a couple of hours and the bill probably is pretty high. So the amount 20% on that is going to be good for her or him. But then you think about somebody who works really, really hard at a breakfast place. Those, those checks are very small. They are turning over tables left and right. They're really hustling and they're not making a whole lot in tips. They have to do a lot more, but are they working any less than that person who knows fine wine and fine dining? Yeah. So it makes, it just, there's a lot to think about with this. I had another person who, one person criticized the story and said, you didn't offer any quantifiable evidence. And my answer to him was, there isn't any quantifiable evidence. That's why I talk to people on both sides to kind of get a feel of what are the pros and cons out of this. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, a, a restaurant's profit margin is so small, too. And it's kind of like the big question is, yeah, it's a great idea. I think people should obviously be able to make a living wage. But where do they get the money for it? Like, where do the restaurants get the money? That's the question. That's exactly right, Alex. Mm -hmm. How would automatic gratuity fit into any of this? Because I know that there's a lot of places, not really in the Northeast Ohio, unless maybe, I don't know, some, I, I can't really think of any places, but I know whenever I'm on vacation or I go to like these places in Miami, for example, um, automatic gratuity is a thing. And or I know, parties of eight over yeah, here. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Parties of eight. So where would that fit into to this equation? Because I know whenever I go and I sit down and it's automatic gratuity, nine times out of ten unless the service was exceptional exceptional i'm not adding on top of that you know see so you wouldn't tip if it was called automatic gratuity yeah but if it was a service charge you would exactly. still tip on it so I it's just wording uh, oh no right. i i disagree because i think the service fee is not is not going to the oh you to, think yeah. it's for the, the well, yeah i think it's yeah. for the restaurant the automatic gratuity is going or should be going mm -hmm. directly to the servers the question is the minimum number of people on the tip. I have never seen on the ticket, I should say, I've never seen that with a party of two, but I have seen it often with five or more. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, five, yeah. And I understand that. They're trying mm -hmm. to guard against somebody who's spending a lot of time and a lot of money and then they're going to skate on the on the bill, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, for two people, that's interesting. I mean, if they build it in, they build it in. In a, I don't know if I would tip on top of that. I'm Right now I'm at 25% most of the time mm -hmm. when I go out. I, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Or another thing I think that's a big topic is what about places where it's like um, like you're picking up or like a fast casual concept like a Chipotle or, or like a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And now all the iPads have like the tip percentages. Right. I know some people think that you shouldn't have to tip on stuff like that if you don't have a server. Oh, what do you, man. What do you, you just struck a chord with me. I was going to bring that up. It is so annoying how we're seeing like tip options on things that ought not to have a tip option. Like, why is it that I go to a gas station and there's a there's a tip option there? Which, yes. you know, like it's crazy. Some of these things. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of these places, I really don't think they should be offering that. And it kind of makes you feel bad. But it's like, why? Why are we doing this? 
I don't know. People do. Studies are showing that people are feeling intimidated and they're already sick of it. And it's a mm -hmm. relatively new phenomena. I mean, it really came about as a result of COVID, yeah. you know, more or less. Yeah. No, I feel like it's just because, I mean, then sometimes like if I'm at a coffee shop and I see like the barista, like they're taking time to do mm -hmm. my drink, I'm going to tip them. But again, it's like, where does it end with it? You know, like if you're mm -hmm. or if you pick up, I know, um, takeout food, like you call, you go and you pick it up yourself. Do you mm -hmm. still tip on that? If it's not delivery. Yeah, that's a good question. It, it's, it's so like, but so, that's why I think the the reader who said the quantifiable evidence, there are just so many factors. You can't really get a solid yeah. answer. Yeah. But it's crazy. For sure. Yeah. So I guess um to, to round out the topic a little more, less debatey, we can <laughs> talk about um upcoming restaurants opening in 2024. There's a lot going on. Um, a lot of changes, especially Van Aken Market District, which we talk about all the time in Shaker Square. I know there's at least um, three new restaurants that are set to go in there this year and stuff. So, Mark, what do you think? What What are you excited about in 2024 opening? There's a lot. You had a, a good story that really rounded up. I think more than a dozen places we're looking at. And, and that doesn't even count the ones that are going to organically pop up all mm -hmm. of a sudden. So I know we'll be busy this whole year as we were. I mean, last year, what did we have? 72 70, or something? Yeah. So it was crazy. There's two in particular that I'm interested in. Uh, one is Oliva. This is an Italian-oriented steakhouse in the old Osteria di Valeria e Al. I always have to be careful <laughs> yeah. how I say that. This was a really neat spot. I, I liked it. Um, basement dining. Uh, I always felt like it was in a New York uh, restaurant row type of place. It's over on St. Clair. The owners of uh, Luca Italian Cuisine bought it. So Luca and Lola Sema, I like what they've done. They've expanded. Uh, this would be, I believe this would be their fourth restaurant. They opened Luca um, in the flats 10 years ago. Then they opened Luca West in Westlake. And then they opened Aqua di uh, Luca as well uh, in uh, very close to where mm -hmm. this new spot is. They really wanted a steakhouse, but they wanted it uh, as 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 they told me to be a little bit more feminine. I don't think you're going to see these giant 42 ounce porterhouses. I think it's going to be a steak with some Italian sides and a little bit more, I don't want to say dainty or delicate, but not quite as hearty as, as yeah. what people might think. So my, my feeling there is I like their old work and I'm looking forward to yeah, the new one. For sure. So that's one for sure. And then the other one I'm looking forward to is AJ Rocco's. Um, this is a popular spot. Uh, right next to the Clevelander, right in the heart of the Gateway District. Uh, I talked to Brendan Walton last year and did a story on it. And what I'm excited about is this is a whole new concept. It's not just another bar. He's going to have a full kitchen. He's got multiple levels. He's got multiple bars. He's going to have you know the whole nine yards. But the neat thing is he's also turning this into a B and B, an Airbnb. Oh, cool. And I saw the, I was in some of the rooms before it was built out, so they were still working on it. And this goes back six, seven months ago. I think it's really neat, and I think it's a very smart business decision because if you're downtown, especially for Guardians games, really more so, and and maybe Browns games. But especially for Guardians games, a lot of traveling fans come in and they like to stay as close as they can to the ballpark. They may not know. They may not want to drive. They want to stumble back after mm -hmm. the game or mm -hmm. go out to a bar, hit a restaurant, see the downtown tourist spots. This is perfect. They're yeah. a block from the stadium. You could stay there. You've got a bar in your basement, essentially. And I think it's really neat. I cannot wait to see. And and by the way, the rooftop patio overlooks the stadium. Wow. So it is really cool. I think it's going to be a neat spot. Yeah, AJ yeah, Rocco's has been closed for 
it has been closed for a few years. He it was open for about twenty years, and it's actually moving to basically next door. Okay. They will continue the shared patio with the Cleveland Derby. Yeah. So they get along pretty well. And, you know, it really is in the heart of the gateway. So I think it's pretty neat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love a good patio. So you, you wrote the oh, article. Yeah, you no, have, I have tons a, of... a couple, well, kind of going off the steak concept, another steakhouse uh, coming to the west side in Lakewood where I live is uh, Artis. It's going to be in the old uh, side quest in Lakewood. Mm -hmm. And the whole vibe is kind of like 80s Art Deco Miami steakhouse. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be really cool because especially in Lakewood, you have so many great bar restaurants are kind of more casual eateries so to have something a little more upscale too like i love sarita and lakewood it's just more places like that mm -hmm. would be great um and then the other one i'm really excited about being a il rione pizza fan is lil ronnie's uh il rione is opening a pizza by the slice shop um it's going to be in the the old edison's and it was the edison's pizza next door mm -hmm. Uh, but it's kind of a place that people are used to going and getting slices of pizza. So especially with Il Rion being one of the most beloved local spots, mm -hmm. I think it's just going to be really great to have that in Tremont. Do you know what happened with those other pizza spots? Or It was kind of, I know there was the Edison's pizza was there for a while. And then they, I know that they still have it in Lucky's Market. Mm -hmm. And then people kept the name for Edison's Pizza Next Door. Um, but I think it was a totally different, not the same okay. pizza. So I, I don't know. I just think it wasn't really it, there. It was Edison's pizza for a really long time. And then it kind of changed hands a little bit, but now it seems like little Ronnie's is going to be a good staple. Yeah. This, what I liked about your story was it really shows, I think you had 14 restaurants in there and it really shows they're all different. You had yeah. a donut spot. You've got pizza by the slice, which is really starting to become its own little style with mm -hmm. Jurassic's downtown has a slice shop. And then I think you wrote about the going into HOB as yeah. well. And then you've got a steakhouse and you've got the stalls in Van Aken and all these different places. And I like the diversity of the types of offerings that we're going to get. It's not all just the same thing. It's not cookie cutter. Yeah. yeah. What do you, so what do you two think is going to be like the most uh, buzzy, the most uh, impactful restaurant opening of 2024 based on what you see I on think the horizon people so are far. really excited about kiln which is uh mm. doug katz's next project um who he owns amba and jug he's going to be in the van aiken i forget what the space used to be but he, um it's going to be a, a pretty big restaurant concept yeah there. if uh, that's a great answer because two years ago the answer was cordelia and that's still going strong last year the answer was fahrenheit and good luck getting a table there yeah still <laughs> and it, tr it truly is and the design there is just amazing um and i, I think you're right if i had to bet on that i probably would agree with alex and, and say kiln but in van aiken really like you said there's the donut place there's a few different places going into van aiken which it is cool because it's supposed to be an incubator space so it's kind of supposed to have these in and out businesses and i think it keeps it exciting people want to keep going there and checking out what's yeah. coming in so yeah but another one i'm really excited just to shout out is um banter beer and wine uh they do the sausages and poutine and stuff they've been closed it feels like since before covid maybe um but they're reopening in gordon square which will be really exciting so do you eat some awesome. do you eat poutine josh spell that <laughs> p-o-u I need to write it down. <laughs> yeah, go T -I -N -E. ahead. No, but it's fries with gravy and cheese curds. It's like Canadian. Mm, right. Yeah. So here's the neat thing about that with Banner. When they decided on poutine, the owners went to Montreal 
And they just ate nothing but poutine for about 72 hours. They just kept eating poutine after poutine after poutine. I like to try it once in a while. It's, Mm -hmm. we had it at, um, at Schnitzel. Oh yeah. And that, and that was, was very good. But once a year is plenty for yeah. me. That's it. <laughs> no, I like banter. They used to have like chicken paprikash poutine, mm. which was, that was like a meal. It felt like you didn't even need the sausage. The food was good. The Polish dog was great there. Yeah. I like that once or twice a year. The beer and wine selection. I'm really curious about the new place, whether they're going to be having the same bottle selection they had. Yeah, that was awesome. That was incredible. They had a wonderful selection and uh, and they did pretty well with that. Yeah, I mean, they got a lot of food network buzz and stuff like that too so i think that's a really exciting one to be reopening so looking forward to it lots of new places (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that has been our first episode of 2024 thanks so much for listening we really appreciate you yeah and make sure to follow the dine drinkly podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, youtube wherever you listen to your podcast follow us on instagram at dine drinkly and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at cleveland.com newsletters thanks